All right, so this is going to be my WrestleMania 2 review as I'm continuing my WrestleMania review series. Obviously, I just reviewed WrestleMania 1 last week. I meant to do this review earlier in the week, but I had other stuff to do. Um, but I'm trying, I'm going to do WrestleMania, watch WrestleMania 3 actually right after I upload this, and then that will probably be uploaded maybe by tomorrow or Monday, I would say. Um, so overall with WrestleMania 2, did I think it was better than WrestleMania 1? Um, yes and no. I thought the matches, there was a few matches that you could say were better. I did mention how if you watch WrestleMania, the first one, for, you know, match quality and good matches, you're not really going to get that, but you should check it out for a historical, you know, perspective on how WrestleMania pretty much became what it was because WrestleMania is a household name. Most people, even if they don't like wrestling or know what wrestling is, have at least heard of WrestleMania. But I think this show had a few matches that you could say were okay, but nothing truly classic or great that you need to go out of your way to watch. Um, the one thing that's, I think, unique about this WrestleMania is that, well, a couple things, actually. So, for starters, this event actually took place on April 7th, 1986, which was actually on a Monday, which is very weird because traditionally WWF or WWE now does their pay-per-views on Sundays. The last couple years, like recently and probably, yeah, the last few years for sure, they've started to do more pay-per-views on Saturdays, but traditionally they've done pay-per-views on Monday. And... I was researching why this show took place on a Monday because I just thought that was very weird why you would do this pay-per-view on a Monday. And I couldn't find a reason why, which is, I don't know. And obviously I wasn't born in 1986, so I have I wasn't around. So I don't know if there was maybe something else going on that caused this to be on a, on a Monday. But I just thought, you know, traditionally WWE does all their shows on Sundays. Another thing that's very unique about this show is they run, this pay-per-view runs on three different venues at the same time, which is very unique. And it's something that WWE has only ever done one time. And I got to say, that's probably for the better because there was some, a lot of production issues with this show, like cut camera cuts that were very weird and commentary was kind of weird. It felt like there was times where you could hear like other announcers from other venues commentating. Plus, like as a fan, you got to think about it. like that's a tough sell. If you're gonna do this show from three different venues, you're basically telling fans like you're only gonna. They did an hour from each venue, so you're going. The show was three hours long. Um, but basically, you're telling fans like you're gonna pay for an hour, and then you, they just played the rest of the show on the big like on the big screen in the you know the arena which i don't know like i don't know if i personally i would want to go to something like that like if wwe did a wrestlemania now like that i would probably be like uh no um but obviously for some historical context wwf ran three venues like i said but i think the main reason they did that is because w i mentioned how wcw had started Starcade, which was their biggest show of the year. And this w WrestleMania was basically WWF's counter at the time to 
Um, Starcade. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, to Starcade, and uh, they actually, I believe, the nineteen eighty five Starcade, which was the, I think they Starcades usually in December for WCW at the time. They ran two venues, so I feel like this was Vince McMahon's way. Vince McMahon's obviously an egomaniac, and it's like he's going to be like, if you could do two venues, well, I'm going to do three. And they took place in very huge media markets, for, especially for, you know, around the country, you could say. New York, Chicago, and L.A. So the first hour of the show took place in Uniondale, New York, at the uh, Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. The second hour of the show took place at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois, which is a suburb of Rosemont. And then the third hour of the show took place at the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena in Los Angeles, California, which I believe was a place where the Lakers used to play. I could be wrong. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so the combined attendance for all three shows were 40085 there's no buy rate for this show. I'll try to look that up. I know the first couple WrestleManias, they did a lot of it on closed circuit, so there wasn't a lot of, like, paper... You know, it was on pay-per-view, but it was, like, not as easy to access, I think, at that point. So there's no... I'll try to look those up for sure, and I'll get. I'll tell you the pay-per-view buys for WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania 2 when I start WrestleMania 3. Um, so the tagline of the show was the premier sporting event of the year, and then it also, what the world has come to. Um, it was weird because obviously each show had their own announce team. So the announcers for the first hour of the show was Vince McMahon and Susan St. James, who I honestly have no idea who she is. But it sounds like she was an actress of some sort. Obviously, like I said, this was show was before my time, so I don't know who she is. And then, um, Gene Oakland and Jesse the Body Ventura, or not Jesse the Body Ventura, Gene Okerlund and Gorilla Monsoon announced with Kathy Lee Crosby, another person I don't really know much about in Chicago. And then, uh, Jesse Ventura, Alfred Hayes, and Elvira were the announcers for the LA WrestleMania. Elvira was another actress of some sort. Like I said, I don't really know much about them, so... Uh, the ring announcers, Howard Finkel was the ring announcer for New York, who was a legendary, probably the greatest ring announcer in wrestling history. Uh, Chet Chopic was the announcer for Chicago, another person I don't really know much about. And then Lee Marshall. There was also similar to WrestleMania 1, where they had a lot of celebrity involvement. This one probably had more, because they had match in one of the venues where there was a lot of football players in it which I'll get to when I get to that. But obviously, Ray Charles was involved. He sang the national anthem at the beginning of the show. Ozzy Osbourne was on the show. Um, like I said, there was a lot. Um, so, yeah, we'll get started now with the review. Let me open up my notes. So, like I said, Ray Charles um, sings the national anthem. And then we get... A Roddy Piper interview, and he—it's kind of funny. I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I didn't really write much of it down. What he said, but he said he was gonna uh, knock Mr. T out, and if he doesn't knock Mr. T out, he will retire from wrestling. So the first match, 
was Paul Orndorff versus the magnificent? I can't talk. The magnificent Morocco, who was with Mr. Fuji. Ugh, this match sucked. Uh, it's kind of weird to see Orndorff here opening the show as he main evented the first WrestleMania with Roddy Piper against Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. And he's a babyface now, so he actually turned babyface shortly after WrestleMania one. But yeah, this match was not very good. Um, yeah. They they basically like at one point they traded body slams. I think Morocco elbows him and then does a couple did an Irish whip, and then um, I believe after after the Irish whip, Orndorff reversed it into a backdrop and then did a drop toe hold. They did a couple arm spots. Um. They both end up eventually fighting outside the ring, and the match ends in a double countout, which I thought was very lame. I even wrote that in my notes. I said, lame finish. The crowd was actually chanting bullshit, which is very weird to hear at this time in wrestling. Now you hear that all the time, like if fans hated a finish or something. But, you know, this was also a different time where I think now everyone knows wrestling's bullshit, obviously. I mean, I think even, yeah, everyone knows wrestling's bullshit. But I think there was at this point in time, there were still fans that I thought probably knew it was bullshit, but there was also fans that thought, you know, at least I think that fans thought wrestling was somewhat real. So, like, doing something like this was, I just thought, a very stupid finish, and the match sucked. You don't really need to go out of your way to watch this. Then after that, we get a Mr. T interview. I didn't really write much down for that. Um, but, yeah, I've got a Mr. T interview, just like they interviewed Piper. They were actually going to be in a boxing match later on. The second match was for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Macho Man Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth defending the Intercontinental title against George the Animal Steel. This is weird. Macho Man, actually, I never realized this until after I was watching the show, that Macho Man wasn't on WrestleMania 1. He actually um, didn't join the WWF until actually after WrestleMania. So this is his first WrestleMania match. I thought this was a fun match. It started out where Macho Man was kind of running away from George Steele being scared. And then eventually George Steele catches him. As Savage is trying to crawl back in the ring and he bites his boot, which was kind of funny. Because George Animal Steele did a lot of like, he used to like tear up the turnbuckles. He actually does that in this match. Um, and then he grabs Randy Savage and tosses him across the ring. George Animal Steele gets caught in the ropes, which is a spot Andre the Giant does in a lot of his matches. And Randy Savage le leaped off the top rope, and then he got a two-count on a pin. Um, George Steele throws Randy Savage out of the ring, and then Randy Savage actually hides under the ring, and then Miss or George Steele gets distracted by Miss Elizabeth on the outside, and Randy Savage runs from the other side of the ring and attacks George Steele from behind. Eventually, George Steele bites Randy Savage's arms. Randy Savage rakes the eyes. And then Savage grabs like these flowers. I don't, I don't know if like, I think he just grabbed them from ringside, and he actually hit George Steele with the flowers, which was funny. Um, George Steele then bites the turnbuckle pad and puts the stuffing of the turnbuckle in Randy Savage's mouth. Then eventually George Steele gets distracted by Ms. Elizabeth and Savage hits him with an axe handle off the top rope, and then Randy Savage hit a body slam. He climbs to the top rope and hit his diving elbow drop. And actually, George Steele kicked out at two, which surprised me. Um, 
Then eventually George Steele throws Randy Savage into the turnbuckle. Savage eventually does a roll-up with his feet on the ropes, and the referee doesn't see it and pins him 1-2-3 to retain the WWF Intercontinental title. The match went like 5 minutes and 10 seconds. Um, It was fine, not good, not bad. It was fun for what it was. Randy Savage obviously is great, so he obviously has a lot more better matches at WrestleMania down the road. Um, Oh yeah, the Paul Orndorff and Magnificent Morocco match, I believe, went 4 minutes and 10 seconds, so... Um, but yeah, it was fine for what it was. The third match was Jake the Snake Roberts versus George Wells. And I'll be honest, I don't know who George Wells is. I've never heard of him. He seemed fine, like he was a decent wrestler. Um, Wells hit a backdrop at one point and then Jake Roberts tossed him outside the ring and Jake Roberts did a leapfrog and then, uh, George Wells hit him with a shoulder block. Wells then hit him with a headbutt and then he did a head scissors and a body slam. George Wells does a knee lift on Jake, and then he throws Jake into the ropes for a power slam, and it gets a pin for a two count. Then Jake eventually gains control, and he hits a knee lift, and then he hits the DDT, which was his finish, for the three count. Then after the match, he grabs the python out of his bag, and he wraps the snake around George Wells' throat, and George Wells eventually is, like, foaming at the mouth, which was kind of a cool visual to see, because, he, you know, it was a good sell by there. Or right there. The time was about 3 minutes 15 seconds. So really you got 3 pretty quick matches. Then we get a Hulk Hogan interview. Where he's talking about how he's going to beat George Steele in a steel cage match. Um, and the next was. the I guess you could call it the main event for the first venue. First hour. It was a boxing match that went 10 rounds. Ugh, look. Ah. This was fine, but I I think a lot of people hate this, and I get why. Because it's hard to do a boxing fight in wrestling when wrestling isn't real. So you're going to do, like, boxing. I mean, obviously, you could argue boxing's fixed, too. There are a lot of boxing fights that are fixed. But um, it is just weird to kind of combine. You're taking fake, you know, wrestling that's not real and then combining it with boxing. So, you're like I said, at this time, more people did believe wrestling was real. So... I think this was definitely a weird kind of a situation. And I don't think Mr. T was as great here as he was at WrestleMania 1. I enjoyed him at WrestleMania 1. But yeah, this is a boxing match. It's supposed to be 10 rounds. So it's Mr. T with Joe Frazier versus Rowdy Roddy Piper with Lou Duva, who I don't know who that is, and then uh, Cowboy Bob Orton, who was also in his corner at WrestleMania 1. That's obviously Randy Orton's dad. Um, the guest ring announcer was Joan Rivers. I don't really know who she is. She introduces the judges. There was a couple of them. The only one I recognized was Daryl Dawkins. He was an NBA player. I believe one I wrote down his name was Cab Calloway. There was a Gordon Liddy, and then the timekeeper was Herb. So, yeah, I didn't know who any of those people were except for Daryl Dawkins, who was an NBA player. Um... <clears throat> So, like, this is really kind of, I even wrote my notes, it's kind of hard to go into details, they just punch each other, but a lot of it, like, Mr. T was throwing a lot of phantom punches, and Roddy Piper had to, like, sell it to not make it look completely, like, crap, and he, I thought Roddy Piper did do a good job of that, but, it, like I said, this was not good. Um, it's hard to watch this, because, like I said, it's fake, obviously, you're taking wrestling that's scripted, <clears throat> excuse me. And combining it with boxing, that's supposed to be, you know, like a real thing. So it's kind of a difficult thing to book. Um, 
Piper would hit cheap shots after like the rounds, which was kind of funny, and the ref would break them up. Um, Piper, I thought, you know, he like I said, he had to sell a lot of the phantom punches that Mr. T was throwing. At one point after the round, Bob Orton runs in the ring and dumps a bucket of water on Mr. T. I laughed at that. I just thought that was funny. Um, T eventually got Piper in the corner and knocks him down. And like I said, it looked terrible, though. Piper gets back up, and uh, he rolls out of the ring. Piper actually chucks a chair at Mr. T between one of the rounds, which was funny. But I think it was more, I think he was actually legit mad at how this was going. But I did think that was funny. He just grabs it. He just grabs, like, the chair that they sit in in between rounds and just chucks it at Mr. T. And then Roddy Piper pushed the ref down. And hit a body slam and got disqualified. So Mr. T actually won by disqualification. Um, so the match went about 13 minutes and 12 seconds. It was actually weird. The crowd actually booed when Mr. T won. Which was kind of interesting to me. Um, so yeah, that was it for the first hour of WrestleMania from the Nassau Coliseum venue. Then we get to the Rosemont Horizon um, the first match at that venue was the WWF Women's Championship match between the Fabulous Moolah, who was the Women's Champion, defending against Velvet McIntyre. I have no idea who Velvet McIntyre is. This was basically a squash match. I could read you my notes word for word. I literally wrote, this was pretty much a squash match. McIntyre missed a splash off the top rope and Moolah pinned her for the win. And the match went a minute and 25 seconds. So yeah, it was very quick. Next was, um, so yeah, I can move. I mean, there's not much to say. It was a squash. You don't need to go out of your way to see it. Next was a flag match between Nikolai Volkov with Freddie Blassie versus Col Corporal Kirshner, who I have never heard of in my life. Um, apparently, I mean, yeah, I've never heard of this guy. But yeah, so a lot of flag, this was different than most flag matches. A lot of, most flag matches in wrestling you put a flag on each corner of the um, ring aprons on the turnbuckles, or will it be the apron? Or no, the yeah, the turnbuckles. The ring posts, I'm stupid, not the turnbuckles. So you put a, a flag on each side of the... And then you're supposed to climb up and retrieve the flag. They didn't do that here. This was just like a regular match, and then the winner just got to raise their flag afterwards. Um, which I thought was kind of an interesting move for a flag match. Because, like I said, most flag matches you have the ring posts on the, um, or the flags on the, um, ring. So, but yeah, this one, they didn't have them on the ring, or on the ring post, which I thought was very weird. Anyway, I just... Shoot, I know it's accidentally closed out. Let's go scroll down. Sorry about that. Yeah, distracted for a second. My notes closed, which sucks. So, um, <clears throat> Volkov sang the Na Soviet National An Anthem, which is always funny. That He gets a lot of heat for this. And no one threw garbage at him like they did at WrestleMania 1. Um... So Volkov hit a spin kick, and then he tossed him out of the ring and threw him into the ring post, and then he bit him. Uh, Freddie Blassie yelled at 
Kirshner to get back at the ring and called him a dog. Kirshner was actually bleeding on the forehead, and then he... So, Freddie Blassie goes to throw the cane into the ring to Volkoff, but Kirshner catches the cane and he hits Volkoff for the win. And he wins. So, it only went like 205, two minutes, five seconds. So, like the first two matches go combined, what, three minutes and 30 seconds? So, very quick. And then after the match, Kirshner raises the flag. Um, Next, so the seventh match was a battle royal. It was the WWF versus the NFL. Um, so the participants in this match, now there's NFL players and WWF wrestlers. A lot of the NFL players I've, I've heard of a little bit, but I, like I said, this was before I was born. But um, so I'm just going to read the names they have them listed. So Jim Covid, who was an NFL player of the Chicago Bulls. Pedro Morales was a WWF wrestler. He was one of, he was one of the longest reigning WWF champions of all time, as well as an intercontinental champion. Tony Atlas, was a wrestler. I think Ted Arkady, who I've never heard of. Harvey Martin was an NFL player with the Dallas Cowboys. Dan Spivey, who was a wrestler, wrestled in WCW. I believe it was in a tag team called the Twin Towers. Hillbilly Jim, who was kind of cool. Kim or King Tonga, who I'd never heard of. The Iron Sheik, who's awesome. I love the Iron Sheik. Put people in the camel clutch and break their back and make them humble, as he would say. Ernie Holmes, who was an NFL player for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Brian Blair. Um, Jim Brunzel. Big John Studd, who wrestled Andre the Giant at the last WrestleMania. Bill Fralick, who was an NFL player for the Atlanta Falcons. Jim Neidhart, who was part of the Hart Foundation with Brett the Hitman Hart. Russ Francis, an NFL player with the San Francisco 49ers. Bruno San Martino, who was a manager at WrestleMania 1, but he was in this match. The longest reigning WWF champion of all time. One of the greatest wrestlers ever. And then William of the Refrigerator Perry, who I believe is an NFL Hall of Famer. So, um, you know, they introduce all the wrestlers. My first thought when this whole match started is, why wouldn't everyone just gang up on Andre the Giant and throw him out? Um, and I wrote my notes. Iron Sheik throws out three people like a beast. I love the Iron Sheik. Then Bruno San Martino eliminated the Iron Sheik, and I booed. I, the fans didn't boo. I booed. Bruno then Bruno gets eliminated by J Big John Studd, and I wrote he got what he deserved for throwing out Iron Sheik. That's right. I love the Iron Sheik. He's great. One of the best heels of all time in wrestling. Uh, Big John Studd then throws out William the Refrigerator Perry, and then William Perry goes to shake his hand, and Big John Studd's an idiot and goes to shake his hand, leans over the ropes to do it, and then. William Perry grabs him and eliminates him. I've always thought that rule in wrestling is weird where you can get eliminated from a battle royal or a royal rumble and like you're out if someone that's already out of the match eliminates you or someone that's not in the match. Oh yeah, one thing I wanted to add. Battle royals are a little bit different than royal rumbles. So for those of you that don't know, a royal rumble is where um, two wrestlers start and then after like a minute and a half, they bring another wrestler out, and then you have to throw them over the top rope. A battle royal is where everyone starts in the ring at the same time, and you still have to throw them out over the top rope with their feet touching the floor. So I just wanted to clear that up for people that don't know the difference. Uh, so yeah, William Perry ends up throwing out John Studd. 
The final four are Andre the Giant, Bret Hart, Jim the Anvil Nyhart, and an NFL player named Russ Francis. And I wrote in my notes, I wonder who's going to win with the question mark. That's sarcasm, by the way. I think everyone knows where this was going. Andre then got drop kicked by Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil, and he got tangled under the ropes, which is a staple of Andre the Giant matches. Um, the Hart Foundation eventually double team Andre. At some point, the NFL player got thrown out. I don't remember who threw him out. And then Andre eventually throws them both out. He throws the An- Jim Neidhart out. Then he picks Brad Hart up and throws him on top of Jim the Anvil Neidhart. So Andre the Giant wins. The match went about nine minutes and thirteen seconds. So it was fine. Um, like it wasn't that bad. So far, this is probably the best thing on this portion of WrestleMania. Uh. Then we get a Roddy Piper interview that I thought was hilarious. Um, go out, go watch it if you want. I didn't really write much of it down, but it was funny. Then the main event of, I guess if you want to call it the main event of the second venue of WrestleMania, was the WWF Tag Team Championship match between the Dream Team, which was Greg the Hammer Valentine and Brutus Beefcake. This was before he became Brutus the Barber Beefcake. With Johnny Valiant versus the British Bulldogs, which is Davy Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid. So they were with Lou Albano or Albano and uh, Ozzy Osbourne. I enjoyed this. I thought this was the best match on the entire show. This is a fun tag match. So the, uh, let's say my notes. The bell rings. Um, Greg Valentine and Davy Boy Smith start. They tie up and exchange punches. Davy Boy Smith then gets him in an arm bar. And then Valentine eventually gets out of it and does a hip toss. Dynamite Kid tags in and hits a snapmare. Or not a snapmare, a snap suplex. Davy Boy Smith tags back in. And then he blocks a suplex, but uh, Valentine blocks the suplex. But Davy Boy Smith eventually, I'm just going to call him the British Bulldog. Uh, the British Bulldog eventually hits the suplex for a two count. Greg Valentine then gains control and he tags in Beefcake. Beefcake works the arm. Then Valentine eventually reverses it. Or no, Valentine, yeah, eventually reverses, I believe, a move on Bulldog. And he hit a Gorilla Press Slam for a pin. Dynamite Kid then does a roll-up for a two-count. The Bulldog tags back in and hits a Fisherman Suplex for a two-count. Um, he put Beefcake in a headlock. Then Greg Valentine tags and he jumps off the top rope onto Smith, or British Bulldog, and then he hit a Suplex and pins him for a two-count. Valentine then puts British Bulldog in a headlock. Dynamite Kid would tag in. He exchanges punches with Valentine. Um, then I believe Dynamite Kid hit a shoulder, hit a couple shoulder blocks in the corner. And then Greg Valentine does a sunset flip for a pin and gets a two count. Dynamite Kid then hit a backbreaker and does a knee drop to the face. Gets another two count. A lot of covers in this match. Uh, Valentine then hit a reverse pile driver. It was kind of like a... It looked like kind of like a Styles Clash, except for he didn't hook the arm. So he's going like he's going to do a pile driver. But instead of falling on his butt or his ass, he basically just falls forward and he hit his face on the mat. So, um, yeah, it was like so. Valentine basically falls forward, and then I believe it was on Dy- yeah, it was on Dynamite Kid, and he then Kid hits Valentine in the balls with his feet. That wasn't very nice. I even wrote, that's not very nice. He's over here cheating and shit. Uh, Valentine then took the Ric Flair bump, which is where he got thrown off the top rope. Ric Flair did that in like every match. 
Um, the Dynamite Kid hit a body slam on Greg Valentine. British Bulldog goes for a power slam and pins him for a two count. And then he does a suplex for another two count. And then Valentine Irish whips Bulldog um, shoulder first under the ring post. He tags in Brutus Beefcake. Uh, Brutus Beefcake then stomps on the on Bulldog's neck. He does a hammer lock, and then Greg Valentine tags back in and does a shoulder breaker for a pin and a kick out. And then Greg Valentine gets thrown into the Dynamite Kid on the apron, and he falls down. And then uh, British Bulldog pins him to win the new tag team championships. Or to be, not the new tag, to become the new WWF tag team champions. I Like I said, this was a good match. Uh, this is probably I would recommend going and watching this. It's a fun tag match. The best, probably the best match on this show overall. And that was it for the first, second venue of WrestleMania. They did an interview. They interviewed him after the match and gave him the titles. Ozzy Osbourne got interviewed, and uh, you, it is just funny because you could tell he was like drunk or on pills or some kind of drugs or something because he didn't even know where he was. It was hilarious just to listen to him. Uh, then the bull, like I said, the British Bulldogs celebrate their win. Uh, the ninth match and the first match on the Los Angeles portion of WrestleMania. I actually thought this was decent. Probably the second best match on the show. So Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who's great, versus Hercules Hernandez, who I don't know much about. I've heard of him, but I don't know a ton about him. Uh, so the match starts off with um, Hercules Hernandez. Do it. He does a couple of forearms of Steamboat. Then Steamboat does a baseball slide and does two arm drags. And then he gets him in a hammer lock. Um, Hercules Hernandez does a leapfrog and goes for a backbreaker. Ricky Steamboat gets out of it and hits a kick to the chest. And then he does another arm drag and a hammer lock. Uh, Ricky Steamboat works the arm. So he starts elbowing him in the arm. Then Hernandez fights back, and then he throws Steamboat into the ropes. Steamboat does two leapfrogs, then he hits a back elbow to the face. Ricky Steamboat then hits a suplex. Steamboat goes back to work on the arm. Hernandez reverses and slams Steamboat's face into the turnbuckle and hits a clothesline and stomps him against the ropes. And then Hernandez throws him against the ropes and hits a stun gun on Steamboat, which is actually a finish Stone Cold Steve Austin did in WCW. I'm pretty sure it was a, st a stun gun. It might have been a little different than it. I wrote a stun gun down, but... Um, dang, I just lost my notes. Hang on a second. Oh, okay. Uh, then uh, Hernandez does a reverse body slam and gets a two count. Hernandez then rams Steamboat's face into the turnbuckle, and then he hits a back elbow and does, like, multiple elbow drops onto Steamboat and gets a pin for a two count. Ricky Steamboat eventually fights back and starts chopping Hercules Hernandez. Uh, Hernandez does a gorilla press slam and then he does another one. Hernandez climbs to the top rope and he's going to jump off. And as he jumps, Ricky Steamboat puts his knees up and Hernandez hits his knees. Then Steamboat climbs to the top rope and he hits a diving crossbody to win. Um, the match went 7 minutes and 27 seconds. Like I said, I thought this was a good match. This was probably, like I said, the second best match on the show. Ricky Steamboat's great. Hercules Hernandez, I thought, did decent for, you know, being the kind of wrestler that he was. Ugh. This next match, what the hell was this crap? So it was Adrian Adonis with Jimmy Hart, who's hilarious, versus Uncle Elmer. I hated this. This match sucked. Um, 
there wasn't really much to it. A lot of stupid bumps. They didn't really do a lot of... Adrian Adonis was a weird character. He was like a... He wore like dresses and was very like feminine, which I don't know about that time frame, how weird that was. But yeah, he was like a feminine wrestler. He'd wear like makeup and dresses and like leggings and shit. It was very weird for, you know. Um, so then he gets, eventually like, like Adonis got caught in the ropes and then Elmer splashed him in the corner and he misses a leg drop. And then Adonis climbs the top rope and hits a headbutt and wins. Match goes like three minutes and it sucked. Don't watch this. You could skip this. It was a bunch of crap. Moving on. We get a Hulk Hogan interview. He says he's going to win the steel cage match against King Kong Bundy, brother. As Hulk Hogan would say. Uh, this this next match I actually thought was kind of fun. It was a tag team match with the Funk Brothers. So Terry and Haas Funk with Jimmy Hart versus Tito Santana. And the Junkyard Dog. I always enjoyed the Junkyard Dog. I think he's great. Tito Santana's fun to watch. And Terry Funk's crazy. I never really watched much of the Haas Funk or the other Funks, but I've seen a lot of Terry Funk. Terry Funk was a crazy... He'd do a lot of hardcore matches, a lot of crazy shit. Um, let me see. So Junkyard Dog and Haas Funk start the match. Junkyard Dog then body slams both the Funks. He tags in Tito Santana. I believe Terry Funk tags in at some point. Uh, Terry Funk then hits chops on Santana, and then Santana hits a clothesline on Terry Funk. And then Santana hit a dropkick on Haas Funk. Junkyard Dog rams Terry Funk into the turnbuckle, and then he does it in another corner, and then he head, he headbutts Terry Funk. Santana tags in, and then Haas Funk hits multiple uppercuts on Santana. Jimmy Hart actually stomps on Santana, I believe he got thrown out of the ring and Jimmy Hart was stomping on him, which was kind of funny. Um, he gets beat down by both Funks, and then Terry Funk hit a suplex for a two-count. Santana eventually hits his own suplex on Terry Funk. They run the ropes and collide into each other. Haas Funk then hits a double-arm suplex for another two-count. And then he hit a couple uppercuts on Santana. Terry Funk then tags in and hits a leg drop. Santana eventually makes the hot tag to the Junkyard Dog. Junkyard Dog comes in, runs wild. He hits a clothesline on Terry Funk. He backdrops Terry Funk outside the ring. He slams Terry Funk onto a table outside the ring. Uh, then Santana puts Haas Funk in the figure four. Uh, while the ref is distracted, Jimmy Hart actually throws Terry Funk his megaphone. And then he hit the Junkyard Dog in the head and pins him for the win, for the 1, 2, 3, and the win. The match goes 11 minutes and 42 seconds. This was fun. Like I said, it wasn't terrible. Like, Ricky Steamboat and Hercules I thought was a good match. This was a good match. Um, so, yeah, it was fun. Then we get to the main event, which was a steel cage match between for the WWF Championship with Hulk Hogan defending the WWF Championship against King Kong Bundy, who was with Bobby Heenan. They showed a video package recapping the feud, which was good because obviously they didn't have a lot of TV back then, so it was hard to know what was going on and how some of these feuds started. But So basically, uh, Hogan was wrestling, defending the championship, I believe, against Don Morocco on Saturday night's main event. And King Kong Bundy attacked Hogan and hit him with a few splashes in the corner. And then he splashed him again, and he injured Hogan's ribs. And they didn't want Hogan to compete in this match. 
Then we get we get to like a video clip of Hogan in the gym lifting weights, and he's got a bandage around his ribs. Uh, the doctor is telling Hogan not to wrestle, and Hogan says he owes it to all the Hulkamaniacs, brother, to defend his title. And then Hogan starts doing shit-ups, which was funny to watch. He's just like, and he's just grunting really loud, and it was hilarious. Hogan says he fears no man. He says Bundy is mine in the steel cage. And then we get a King Kong Bundy interview with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Bundy says whenever they get in the ring, Hogan gets hurt. He says get the ambulances ready. Bobby Heenan says Hulkamania is over and it will be Bundy Mania, brother. He forgot to say brother. Uh, the Dodger manager at the time was Tommy Lasorda, who was the guest ring announcer. The timekeeper's introduced is Ricky Schroeder, who was a kid actor. He got booed, which I thought was hilarious, like they are booing a child. <laughs> um, the special guest referee was Rob Conrad, who's another actor I've never heard of. Um, so the match starts. Uh, I actually, before I get into it, I actually thought this match was decent. Uh, but yeah, they, the match starts. They trade right hands. Hogan hits a, some chops and a big boot. And then Hogan chokes Bundy with a singlet, like the fucking heel that Hogan is over here cheating in every match. It's just funny to me. You watch all every Hulk Hogan match ever. And he's over here like cheating left and right. And you're supposed to cheer for him. And it's just funny. Although he did get his ribs hurt. So he's out for revenge. So I kind of understand it. But. Uh, then Hogan hits a running clothesline in the corner, and he gets more chops to Bundy. Um, Hogan is dominating him at the start of the match, and then Bundy eventually gets control. He beats Hogan down. He hits some elbows to the back of the head, and then Bundy body slams Hogan. He tries to walk out of the cage, and Hogan grabs his leg, and then Bundy rams Hogan back first into the cage. Bundy removes the bandages from around Hogan's ribs, and he chokes Hogan with the bandages. And then he actually ties Hogan to the rope with the bandage. And he tries to escape, but Hogan gets out of it and stops him from escaping. Hogan Irish whips Bundy into the turnbuckle, and then he hits a back elbow. And then he chops him. And then Hogan throws Bundy head first into the cage, and Bundy starts bleeding. It was nice to see some blood in this match, because you, you didn't see a lot of it at this time, or even nowadays in WWE, or WWF at the time. Then Hogan, then I wrote my notes, Hogan rakes the eyes like the cheater that he is. Yeah, Hogan's the biggest heel ever. Literally, cheats every match. And you're supposed to cheer for him. <laughs> um, and he rams his face, um, Bundy's face, into the cage multiple times. Hogan goes to do a body slam, but Bundy, like, he loses, you know, strength, which is kind of funny because Hogan's literally strong as hell. So it's kind of weird to see, think Hogan couldn't slam Bundy. But then he falls back, and Bundy, like, basically pins him well it doesn't pin him because you can't do a pin in the cage match but uh um yeah and then hogan grabs the bandage that was tied to the ropes and he chokes bundy once again hogan is being a fucking dick over here cheating left and right like the heel that he is and then bundy irish whips hogan into the turnbuckle and hits a splash bundy then hits another splash and he tries to climb out of the cage but hogan once again grabs his foot uh, Bundy hits another splash, but Hogan no-sells it and hulks up. And then he hits a scoop slam and the leg drop. And then Hogan climbs out of the cage. Bundy tries to stop him, but Hogan kicks him. And then he climbs to the floor and retains the WWF championship. Uh, the match went about 10 minutes and 2 seconds. I thought this match was pretty good, honestly. A lot of people give Hogan a lot of crap. 
a lot of wrestling fans like, oh, Hulk Hogan sucked. He couldn't wrestle. Like, he was fine. And Hogan was never a work-rate guy. Like, you're not going to get a lot of five-star matches with Hogan. Hogan was a character wrestler. So a lot of his matches were character-driven matches. But, like, it's kind of sad because Hogan gets a bad rap. And I think he's a lot better than what fans think he is. And obviously, he deserves a lot of respect because wrestling was able to go mainstream off of his back. And WWF became a household name on the back of Hulk Hogan. And then later on, it just went to different heights in the late 90s. But we'll get to that at that point. But yeah, like, I don't know. I think Hogan's better than what a lot of people give him credit for. Is he the best wrestler ever? No. But he's definitely... I mean, most people know who Hogan is. Obviously, Hulk Hogan. Um, so, I mean, like I said, wrestling was a lot... It was territorial a lot back in these days. And WWF was slowly taking over all the territories. And eventually, they would have going to be the only game in town with WCW and Hulk Hogan was a big reason the WWF was able to go mainstream with WrestleMania and all this you know publicity and ratings that they were getting at the time so like I said Hogan deserves more credit than what he gets this match was good I actually liked this it wasn't that bad um after the match Hogan beats up Bobby the Brain Heenan <laughs> I wrote like the bully he is you're supposed to cheer for this guy no I'm just joking uh it was pretty funny Bobby Heenan's great and his selling was funny Hogan like rammed him into the cage and so yeah that's my review of Wrestlemania 2 um if I recommend watching anything from this show I would recommend watching let's see let me go back to the first um Randy Savage and George the Animal Steel for the Intercontinental title was fun you could watch that uh the opener with Paul Orndorff and Magnificent Morocco you don't need to watch that crap Jake Roberts and George Wells was me. You don't need to watch that. The boxing match between Mr. T and Roddy Piper was not that good, but eh. Uh, the fabulous Moolah Velvet McIntyre, you could skip that. The flag match with Nikolai Volkov and Corporal Kirshner, you could skip that. The Battle Royal was fine. I would recommend, I guess, watching that. Um, the tag team match for the WWF tag team titles between the British Bulldogs... And the Dream Team, that was the best match on the show. I would recommend watching that. Um, Ricky Steamboat, Hercules Hernandez, I would recommend watching. Adrian Adonis and Uncle Elmer, you could skip. Terry Funk and Haas Funk versus Tito Santana in the Junkyard Dog was a fun tag match. I'd recommend that. Then the main event for the WWF title in the cage with Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy was fine. So I'd recommend that. So... Overall, I thought WrestleMania 2 was a little better than WrestleMania 1. Still not great. Still not, you know, not great, not bad. But it could have been better. Um, obviously, there's a lot better WrestleManias coming up. So, yeah, that's my review of WrestleMania 2. I didn't realize I've been talking for this long, so I'm going to get off of here. And I will be watching WrestleMania 3 probably in a little bit, and then I will do a review of that. And hopefully it'll be up by maybe tomorrow, but Monday for sure, so. Thank you for listening. That's my review of WrestleMania 2.